0: One year on Mars. You're listening to Are We There Yet, the radio show exploring space exploration. Hi, I'm Brendan Byrne. NASA's Perseverance rover is celebrating one year on the Red Planet. The robot explorer arrived last year after a seven-month journey from Cape Canaveral in Florida. It's on the hunt for evidence of ancient life on Mars and is tasked with selecting and preparing samples of Martian rocks to send back to Earth. While it has spent a year on the red planet, its work is only just beginning. We'll speak with Bryony Horgan, a planetary scientist at Purdue University who's also working on the mission, about the busy first year for Perseverance and what's to come for NASA's newest Martian explorer. Then SpaceX's Inspiration4 mission sent four civilian astronauts into space. One of those astronauts is Chris Sembroski, and he won his seat through a raffle. Or so we thought. Turns out his friend actually won the seat, but after learning he didn't meet certain physical requirements for the mission, he gave it up to Chris. We'll talk with both of them about Kyle's gift to Chris and how he followed along during his journey to space. That's ahead on Are We There Yet? here on WMFE, America's Space Station. It's been a busy year since a rocket-powered crane delivered NASA's Perseverance rover to the surface of Mars. The rover landed in a spot called Jezero Crater, once thought to be an ancient lake. And that's important because Percy is searching for signs of life from Mars' past, and scientists believe water is the key to uncovering that evidence. Purdue University planetary scientist Bryony Horgan is a scientist on the rover and helped NASA pick a spot that might be chock full of this evidence of past life hidden in Martian rocks. She joins us now to talk about the year the rover has had and what's next for Percy. Bryony, thanks for joining us.
1: Great, thanks. Good to be here.
0: So it's a very exciting milestone. Um, It's hard to believe that uh, the Perseverance rover has been on Mars for a year now. Um, looking back at this year, what are some of the personal highlights for you? What what have been the most exciting things that this little rover has accomplished?
1: Well, you know, it's really amazing looking back at all we've done so far. You know, this rover is is an incredibly ambitious mission. NASA is asking us to drive more, drill more, and do more than any previous really space mission ever, but certainly more than any rover. And I think we've we've made just enormous progress. We've drilled tons of great rocks that'll hopefully be back on Earth uh, within a decade or so. We've uh, explored lots of Martian geological mysteries and just com- been completely surprised, you know, multiple times over now by the results from this rover. So it's been a lot of fun so far.
0: You have been involved since before it landed on planet's surface, including helping decide where it should touch down kind of bring us back to that decision why is the perseverance rover in this particular crater how did you decide that this was where it was going to be and are you happy with uh, with its its landing site at
1: this point Choosing a landing site for Mars 2020 was a really hard task, right? Because it's our, our potentially our only chance to ever bring samples back from Mars. And if you had to choose one place on Earth that you could get samples back from to explain the entire history of Earth and life and everything, you know, where would you go? It's a really hard question. So we had to ask that for Mars. But Jezero Crater is a fantastic site. Jezero Crater uh, contains both evidence for an an ancient lake that we think was present billions of years ago. We see evidence for rivers flowing into this crater and out of this crater, and in between, they left behind this big delta deposit uh, when the lake was there. So the delta was the first thing that uh, that drew us to this crater. But the other really great thing and the thing that, you know, I helped to work on as part of the team was that we also see really interesting minerals inside the crater. And in fact, what we see is this ring of what we call carbonate minerals. So basically, you know, the same kind of minerals you find in the beaches down in Florida around the Gulf. uh, We think those are present around the edges of this ancient lake that once existed in Jezero Crater. And those are fantastic places to go look for signs of ancient microbial life. Uh, because the carbonate mineral, when it precipitates, can actually trap signs of those microbes. So we haven't gotten there yet with the rover, but that's, you know, on the horizon. And we're really excited to see both the delta and the the edges of the crater, these beach deposits, possibly uh, in the next couple of years.
0: I read a uh, story that the Curiosity rover has uh, discovered some some signs of, of carbon or carbon signatures uh, where it's roving around. Does that give you a little optimism that uh, you might find something similar in Jezero Crater?
1: Yeah, and you know, we actually already have. And which is great because, you know, the rocks we landed on down on the crater floor, we think are mostly ancient lava flows. And that's not the place you would expect to go looking for signs of life. But even there, we see signs of lots and lots of water interacting with the rocks. And we even find signs of potential organic materials down in those rocks, too. So and that's, you know, not nearly the same kind of, you know, wonderful, habitable environment we expect to find when we get to the delta or to, again, the edge of this ancient lake. And so I think just already we're seeing lots of great signs that, Jezero Crater was a very habitable environment for ancient microbes.
0: And can you give us a sense of scale? Like, how big is Jezero Crater? How how, how wide was this ancient lake?
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, Jezero Jezero Crater, we think it's it's a pretty big crater. It's about you know forty five kilometers, or about you know twenty miles, or so across. And so that's a really big lake. That's a lot of water. It's a lot of uh, ancient environment for microbes to have once lived in.
0: Y- you mentioned that this is an ambitious mission for NASA and. You know the agency asked planners to drive more, drill more. Talk about the driving. How is Perseverance's path mapped out for that first year, and then how do you decide where it's going in these upcoming years?
1: Yeah, so this first year we've spent exploring the floor of Jezero Crater, exploring what we think now after landing are these ancient lava flows. But I'll tell you, that's not what we thought when we first landed. We landed on these rocks, we landed on, on this stuff that we thought might have been a lava flow from orbit, but we looked out, and just beyond the rover, there were these spectacular ridges in the crater floor that were made of all of these beautiful layers, you know, layers and layers and layers. And, you know, the people who study sedimentary rocks on the team stood up and said, oh, those are beautiful sedimentary rocks, we have to go take a look. And so we had to drive a long ways to get to them though, because they're kind of in the middle of this big s- pile of sand, which is dangerous for the rover. So we had to drive all, you know, a long way south and kind of around to a place where we can get up into these ridges of layered rocks. You know, zoomed in expecting to see, you know, nice ancient maybe lake sediments or river sediments or something. Zoomed in and it turns out these things are also probably <laughs> lava flows, but they're these lava flows that are really crazy. We only see similar things like this that form these weird internal layers on Earth billions of years ago. So it turns out we think almost everything we're seeing on the crater floor is lava flows. But that's actually really great. We've managed to get a bunch of samples of these and those samples will be really fantastic to bring back to Earth because they'll help us understand when everything happened in Jezero Crater. You know, we can use uh, samples of lava flows to identify when they formed, when they crystallized and hardened. And because the Delta is sitting on top of these lava flows, now we can figure out when that lake existed in Jezero, at least kind of put a limit on it. So these are actually really great samples that we're bringing back to Earth, along with our future samples we're going to get of the delta and, you know, the shorelines of this ancient lake and all the other great things we see beyond where we are right now.
0: And that's got to be a testament to, you know, why this robotic exploration is so important, right? I mean, you didn't know that this was a lava bed from, you know, what you're looking at from, from orbital instruments, right? You, you didn't find out until you got onto the ground, right?
1: No, it's true. I mean, it, this is one of the lessons we've learned with Mars exploration is that Mars will always find a way to surprise you. That the thing we look from orbit and said, oh, that's a lava flow. It turns out to be a giant pile of sedimentary rocks. You know, we look from orbit and say, oh, this mineral is just, it's, it's, it's in this place and it's going to be fascinating. Turns out it's you know the most common mineral over the entire landing site is a great. We saw that happen at Curiosity too. That we picked out some great areas in this crater to go investigate because they had these amazing mineral signatures from orbit. It turns out it was basically the same as all the other rocks. It was just sort of this, uh, you know, it's Mars trying to fool us basically, uh, from on the ground versus from orbit. They're very different things.
0: Tell me a little bit more about this this sample return campaign. You mentioned that the the rover is collecting these samples. What's actually happening on the ground? And then what's the plan for these samples once they've been collected?
1: So on the ground with the rover, we're basically trying to collect the best suite of samples we can to understand not just whether or not Mars harbored ancient microbial life, that's the really big goal, but also to, you know, to get the best suite of Mars samples in general we can to understand questions about how the planet formed and evolved, you know, how its atmosphere changed over time. So there's a lot of different things we want to collect. So on the ground, we have this kind of general plan of the samples we want to get and that includes, you know, sedimentary rocks. We want to get some igneous rocks like the lava flows I mentioned um, and all of that. And so we're drilling to get these rocks. We're basically taking uh, little cores. They're about the size of a pencil or sort of a, a big marker um, that we're taking out of the ground. And we have a drill on the end of a very, very long arm that we can place on the rock and get that, dr- that core out. And then we can put that core inside of a special tube that we can hold inside the rover. So, so far, we've collected at least six cores that we've collected, uh, and we're hoping to get uh, up. We have at least uh, 40 sample tubes on the rover, and so we're hoping to get a lot of those within Jezero Crater. The idea is that once we have these cores, that we can deposit them in a depot, in a place where a future mission can come grab them, stick them on a very small rocket that'll launch them into orbit. Once those samples are in orbit, you know, in a nice sample capsule, all protected, uh, another spacecraft will rendezvous with them, grab them, bring them back to Earth, and land them on earth and then we could just you know go nuts on them right so take all of our amazing laboratory equipment here on Earth, all of our amazing microscopes, do all kinds of crazy you know isotopic analyses on these on these samples to try to understand whether or not they hold signs of ancient life and how Mars changed over time. And so that's really exciting because that's really where the, the, you know, the science we're doing now is awesome. It's exploration, but getting the samples back will really open up a whole new, a whole new type of science for Mars.
0: That's it's the most fascinating part of, of the mission to me, because this has never been done before, right? We, we've, we've never received samples from Mars other than, what, meteorites? Right, exactly, yeah. So sometimes you planet. have a
1: big impact that comes in a big you know, uh, comet or an asteroid that hits Mars and ejects a bunch of stuff off, right? And some fraction of that will come back. But that, you know, that's a really, it's a weird fraction of Mars. It's like the hardest rocks are the ones that'll stay together and then come actually hit Earth. It's really young rocks, usually. And so we don't actually, and we don't know where they come from on the planet either. It's just, it's basically, if you randomly grab, a chunk of of Mars lava and threw it at Earth. That's kind of what it's like. So getting these samples back from a well-understood environment, you know, basically a whole suite of samples telling us about how this one place on Mars evolved over time uh, is going to be a really huge leap forward. Uh, Looking at the
0: uh, work ahead for Perseverance on the ground, um, what does this next year have in store for the rover? Where's it going and what's it exploring?
1: So the next big target for the rover is the Delta. And this is the thing we've been so excited about for so long. You know, The Delta is, this. we know, it, it formed when a river flowed into ancient Lake Jezero uh, and flowed into it for a long period of time. And the really big target on the delta is actually the bottom of it, Uh, because we think that what happened is this delta uh, grew out into the lake and gradually covered up the muddy, you know, the muddiest uh, bottom, bottom, uh, bottom most sediments on the lake. And those are the places where we think we can find organic materials. If you look at ancient deltas on the earth, we see they're full, they're chock full of organic materials washed down from the surrounding landscape produced, you know, in the ocean or lake above them and concentrated down in those, you know, those muddy uh, down in those muds. And we think the base of the Delta will contain those. So we think that's our best shot for finding signs of ancient Martian organics uh, concentrated in one place. And so, as soon as we finished investigating these ancient lavas on the crater floor, just in the next month or so here, we're gonna make a beeline for the Delta and get there as fast as we absolutely can. You know, literally turn on the auto drive, we call auto nav on the rover, let it drive as far, as far as fast as it can every single day until we get to the Delta. And let me tell you, those views of the Delta are going to be absolutely spectacular. We started getting back some early images just from where we are right now of the, the valley we're going to drive up. And it really is, it's like Monument Valley on Mars. It's really, really fantastic.
0: I love talking with people like you because you've been working on this mission for so long. Um, you're essentially controlling a robot on another planet. I mean, what is, what is it like when you see these pictures that come back and, and and you realize just how incredible it is that you're working on something like this?
1: Oh, it's amazing. I mean, I, I love waking up to an alien landscape every day, right? It's just, it's it's great. Uh, even when we're trying to, you know, get these pieces of rock out, you know, we're trying to, you know, the drill gets stuck or we have some mechanical problem and we're staring at this rock. It's still, it's amazing to realize that we're doing all this work to get this piece of rock 150 million miles back to earth right and someday i could actually hold this rock in my hand and that is absolutely amazing you know i was thinking about the kind of science we can do with in the future uh, in addition to what we're doing right now and so it's It's a lot of fun. It really is
0: exploration. How do you actually get that data? Like, do you wake up every morning and check your email? And there's like, there's an email from Perseverance and says, here's some pictures I took today for you. Like, how does that process work?
1: So that data from Perseverance. So first, it has to come through uh, satellites and orbiters around Mars. And so we actually have, you know, NASA and the Europeans and other other agencies have uh, satellites at Mars doing science, but they take a little bit of time out of their day to help transmit the data from the rover back to Earth. Then it's caught by the Deep Space Network, which is a bunch of you know enormous dishes around around that planet, red planet Earth, that help catch this data. You know different times a day, and then that is all transmitted to the Jet Propulsion Laboratory in California where we have uh, downlink teams that look at the data as it comes in. And as soon as the data comes in, you know, our day starts on operations. It's, you know, go, go, go. We have to get the next plan together for the next day. What are we doing? Uh, and so, you know, I don't personally get the data, but I, I see it pretty soon after. And it's always cool to see those those first fresh warning uh, images.
0: That was Purdue University planetary scientist and perseverance scientist, Bryony Horgan. Still to come, the friendship that sent one civilian into space. Are we there yet? He's back in a minute. You're listening to Are We There Yet? here on WMFE, America's Space Station. I'm Brendan Byrne. SpaceX's Inspiration4 mission sent four civilian astronauts into orbit last year, spending three days in space in SpaceX's Crew Dragon capsule. One of those astronauts is Chris Sembroski, and he won his seat through a raffle, or so he thought. Turns out his friend actually won the seat, but after learning he didn't meet certain physical requirements for the mission, he gave it up to Chris. Kyle Hipchin is that good friend and pilot. The two met in college at Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University here in Florida. And today, Kyle and Chris join us to talk about their friendship and Kyle's generous gift. Kyle, Chris, thanks for joining us.
2: I was glad to be here. Thanks for having us, Brendan. Good to be here.
0: So, Kyle, walk me back to that moment you realized you had won this raffle. <laughs> where, where were you, and uh, what was your initial thought?
3: Um, let's see, when did they actually tell? Ta- They were supposed to make like a bigger announcement for me in private, but because of what had happened dealing with uh, me having to give it up, they were trying to – we wound up doing it in the Atlanta airport over in the E-terminal.
0: A very glamorous place for that to happen. Yeah.
3: (laughs) No, they they asked me to do a a quick Skype or Skype or Zoom at the time, and so I'm sitting there trying to download the app onto my phone. And trying to get someplace semi private away from everybody to figure out what was going on because i didn't have trying to figure out where everything was
0: Kyle, did you have any any thought that you could possibly win this i mean when you when you made your contribution to enter the raffle was that thought even go through your mind that that you might be the one selected
3: no i mean it's I figured there'd be thousands upon thousands of people
2: entering, so right and it felt like there yeah, was I, I, right i mean that that was yeah I, th- I don't think any of us really felt like we were going to be lottery winners in any sort of stretch of the imagination. I think they were hopeful that it was going to, you know, skyrocket. You know, you get a Super Bowl ad out there, you get millions of uh, entries. Um, so even still, 72,000 is still feels like a needle in a haystack. So, Chris, you, you entered as well, right? Oh, absolutely, yeah. I, was, I remember entering and um, my wife being on the couch on the other side. Uh, we're all watching the commercials and kind of watching the game and eating snacks with, like... Um, you all, we all do it during the Super Bowl, which is really fun. That's really the biggest part. If your team's not in it, it's just <laughs> getting together with your and eating the junk food that you're uh, giving your like uh, giving yourself a a cheat day for. Um, yeah, and, and just enjoying the time with family and friends. And uh, yeah, so it just I think just both of us entered with the same. I know I entered, and you did too, Kyle, with the thought of like, well, this is cool, benefit St. Jude while also selfishly. In a way, you know, getting some cool space swag. Um, uh, so, so Kyle,
0: so so you you end up you win. Um, you realize you're not eligible to go on this. And how how did you go about deciding who got to go? Was was Chris top of mind, or did you have a competition with your friends? <laughs> so, I mean, I, I feel like this everybody's going <laughs> to want this. How did how'd you make this? How did you make the decision to pick Chris?
3: <laughs> Honestly, Chris was the first one that came to mind um, because. Because of where we had come from, through Red, Embry-Riddle and doing the uh, stuff at ProSpace and doing additional stuff with Space, a, a, he was the first one to come to mind, even though I've got friends that I've been friends with for longer than him, and maybe a couple of family members that would have been eligible, too.
2: Yeah, he was pretty sneaky about it, too. And yeah, I think both of us had been going through the whole resume refresh period and getting our references up to date. And and so I thought nothing of, uh, of it when Kyle had, you know, reached out to me saying, hey, what's your most up to date contact information. updating my references, uh, and that was the only hint I got from him on anything. Uh, but thought nothing of it. Yeah, at this point, I had completely forgotten about Inspiration for you know which I had donated, which we donated to like a month prior. Yeah,
3: yeah. I was sitting. I, where was I? I think I was sitting in a hotel room in Atlanta, uh, trying to get all the paperwork ready to go to give to them for Chris to be eligible at that point.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, that's great. Um, now our our local listeners will will know the the significance of Embry-Riddle, but but for our, our listeners who are from outside of Florida, um, tell, tell me a little bit, Kyle, about um, how you and Chris met um, and, and a little bit about uh, Embry-Riddle. Uh,
3: uh, well, Embry-Riddle is the uh, school in Daytona Beach, Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University. It's the number one program undergraduate for aerospace engineering. Um, if it has something to do with space, rockets, or something along the lines, Embry-Riddle probably has their fingers in it, and you get some pretty hardcore guys up there. Uh, so I think Chris and I met, it was actually a freak, freak occurrence. Uh, we had a, uh, there had a, the dorm rooms, there was a four room set and two of our original roommates had changed options or changed, quit school actually. And they got put in there last minute. Chris got put in their last minute. Uh,
2: yeah. I know that I was just put in by lottery.
0: Um, Chris, what was it like hearing from Kyle and, and, getting this incredible gift, um, from him for this opportunity.
2: <laughs> well, um, that was kind of funny. Part. The funny part is I, I, I didn't know Kyle had anything to do with anything, uh, related to inspiration for. Her. And so when, um, when I was asked by kid and Jared to get on the call, you know, Saturday or Sunday morning, um, you know, I'm preparing for a space interview, still thinking I'm part of a deep pool of candidates. Um, that's literally what kid's email said. And I get on the, the zoom call, and behind in my daughter's you know you know playroom with you know butterflies hanging from the ceiling and i'm like they can't behind me in the camera view and uh i get on there and next thing i know kyle shows up on there and i i i I get stuck for a moment thinking wow kyle's here too well it makes sense i mean i guess we're part of this deep pool of candidates together um (laughs) How, how, how do i play this are we in competition now uh
0: what are the odds <laughs> yeah
2: no i mean but i mentioned to jared there it's like hey you know it's uh surprised to see kyle here it's uh we go way back and it's good to see him how you doing buddy
0: <laughs> oh that's 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 great um so 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 kyle uh transfers this win to you chris obviously we know the story of of of, of you going to space. Um, we've talked about it on, on the show. Uh, but Kyle, how, how involved were you in Chris's journey? Did you guys, uh, communicate and did you talk during it? Were you, were you following along Kyle? Um, you know, tell me a bit about how, how you spent that those few months while Chris was training.
3: Um, we talked fairly regularly just to keep an eye on what was going on.
2: Um, yeah, well, and throughout the whole thing, I mean, Kyle and I have talked about the space industry and rockets you know ever since we you know we shared that dorm room at emberbiddle um and uh, and so it, it, with anything going on you know you know i'm texting him or you know calling him for advice or asking him what is, what has he heard on on the various news outlets such as yours brendan um but <laughs> that's what's been going on at the Cape. uh what's going on and like um, is this does this seem right or what's been happening and uh so it was Kyle, I'd always like would update with whatever was going on. And uh, in terms of, hey, uh, we're going down to UCLA for medical training at, at SpaceX. Um, and then whatever else was happening throughout the year. Um, yeah, that, that was, and it was, and of course, Kyle was the first person who, who I made sure had the opportunity to, to make sure to give things to, to me to fly up in space for him. Um, I just remember still feeling this overwhelming sense of like, okay now now that you know Kyle, you've given this to me, how am I gonna make it up to you? how I gonna pay it back right i mean it's it's a, it's such a heck of an act of generosity um but uh it it's it's it it feels like it comes with a catch of like all right now all right kyle you you won this thing and you've given it over generously. how do I pay that back and or forward uh to kind of continue to feel like you know, that I've earned this spot of some way. And it, it I don't know that you ever fully earn someone's generosity to like that. Um But well, we can just ask him.
0: <laughs> Kyle, did he did he, did he did he fill that debt? Did he fulfill that debt to you?
3: <laughs> uh there's no debt. That's the thing. Um it, despite the way it looks, it's just it's the way it worked out, and I uh for I'm just happy that he got to go and got to fly. I mean at that point. I can live, and you know, sort of living vicariously through him, but it's not, it's, it's one of those situations where you try to uh, feel happy for him, but you always have that little slight, like, that slight feel in the background. So, okay, this is what I could have
0: done.
2: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
0: I, I'm sure a lot of the things that, that um, you guys have talked about were, were personal, maybe even some of the things that you brought to space, but I'm wondering, Chris, if, if there's anything that you could share um, that you brought to space um, in honor of, Kyle's generosity or or something special that you did uh while you were uh, in orbit on the mission
2: well, a big part of it was uh you know like like Kyle mentioned, we did a lot of things together with lobbying with pro space to help companies like spacex be allowed to exist from the federal government level and um and so including you know things that that were important to Kyle like is his his pilot wings i mean and his his uh, epaulettes that he got from both you know, graduating flight school and his first and from being a pilot with with the airlines um, those went with me and of course family pictures and whatnot um, but not but not just with Kyle but with for a couple other members that really were pretty significant in helping me and Kyle have the opportunity to experience what it was like to go to Washington DC to kind of share with congress what our passion was for space and why it's important and why it's important we keep opening it up to more and more people and not just keep it as a nasa and government controlled space Um, and and so including kyle along with some of the other people that have included us really felt like the best way to to honor that generosity that, that that was pushed forward
0: and um, Kyle, where, where where are you for uh, for the mission? Did you uh, come down here to Florida to to watch Chris leave the planet?
3: Oh, we were. Oh yeah, we were over at the uh, the OBS with uh, the rest of the family members and close friends and all that. Uh, probably the most amazing thing was that he was the one that he called me from the launch pad was it was it the launch pad or were you at the uh at
2: the 200 and uh yeah 265 foot level oh uh, so yeah. you
3: were you were sent out on the launch arm itself well, you called,
2: just about to walk across it yep that that you go up the elevator and up the other set of stairs to get to that launch arm and that the phone's right there just before you walk down to the to that to, to the white room and uh
0: and that's it, i mean to, to to people who who follow it's human space exploration that is a big deal i mean that is um that is the place that that you know astronauts call their family to say you know one more goodbye before they leave earth i mean that that that's a that's a that's a big honor to get that call from chris from there isn't it Kyle?
3: oh it was it was a shock i was looking at the number because i didn't recognize the number and aaron had uh his wife
2: yeah my wife and i decided aaron and i decided that we you know we had our goodbyes at hangar x um and we had our moment um and it felt like the right thing to do um uh i mean it's <laughs> I, oh gosh uh, giving Kyle that last that, that last call made perfect sense to especially not telling him what i was going to be doing i mean if he can call me to give me a trip to space uh, as a surprise i can call him as i'm about to jump in this rocket as a surprise
0: that was inspiration for Chris Sambroski and his friend and winner of the i4 drawing who gave it to Chris Kyle Hipchin. Well, that's going to do it for this week's show. Next week, we'll speak with Chris's crewmate, Dr. Sian Proctor, about her time on the mission. She created Art from Orbit, inspired by Afrofuturist painters and poets, and will speak to her about outreach efforts to bridge the gap between art and science. Be sure to subscribe to this show's podcast feed. Do that on NPR One, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are We There Yet's production of WMFE, America's Space Station. Editorial guidance this week from LaToya Dennis. Production assistance this week from our intern, Beatrice Oliveira. Support for Are We There Yet comes from our listeners. Until next week, I'm Brendan Byrne. Thanks for listening.